Welcome to another episode of the Creating Magic Podcast. This week, I went solo and spoke with one of my dearest friends, Emily, about her experience growing up with Harry Potter and what Harry Potter means to her now. Throughout the episode, you're going to hear me refer to James. In fact, James even speaks at one point. He gives an incorrect opinion on Goblet of Fire. Just spoiler warning. James is one of my best friends in the world and is Emily's boyfriend. Throughout the episode, I know I cursed a lot. I think maybe Emily might have had one or two. I don't recall. Anywho, please be warned, explicit content follows. That's really about it. Hope everybody enjoys the episode. What is up, Pottergram? It's your favorite Hufflepuff, Muggle and Khakis, with the Jason Derulo Redux. That's right. Danny's letting me ride solo once again. So excited for this podcast. I'm really thrilled to be talking with a dear friend of mine, someone who puts up with another dear friend of mine. Um, Emily, Emily, welcome to Creating Magic. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. How has life been during social distancing for you? It's been all right. Um, I would say rekindling a lot of my old favorite activities like reading and journaling and I guess now doing podcasts. Yeah, I see. I once this whole social distancing thing started and it was clear we were going to be doing this for a while. I was so committed to getting back into reading like the way I used to growing up. And I just it never maybe it's because I'm like a lazy piece of shit. I don't know. But like it just never happened. Yeah, I I find it's much easier to start with something you've already read. Yeah, so for me, that's like, you know, the Bible, you know, right. things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we get to talking about Harry Potter, I'm curious, you know, back during the time Harry Potter was coming out, as we were in elementary, middle school, that whole, you know, era, were you a big reader? Was that Was that a part of your life? So Harry Potter actually, like, helped teach me how to read. Um, at least like more, I would say advanced books. So when obviously they came out, like when I was pretty young and then as I started to get excited about like reading on my own, my mom actually started reading the books with me. And so we kind of like entered into this together because she was really excited she had heard obviously all of these amazing things about the series and JK Rowling in general. Um, and so she and I would actually every single night sit down and read together and kind of go like one page me, one page her. And it was amazing. Very fond memory. So what are, if you can put yourself back in that mindset, right? What were some of your early impressions as you and your mom were reading the books together? Like, Do you, do you remember, like, was it like immediate, like head over heels? I'm in the story. I'm there at Hogwarts with them. Uh, did you struggle to find the hook? Like, how, what, what was that like for you? So I think it got, like, <laughs> my obsession <laughs> with it got more intense as I kind of grew up and started to understand the story more. But at the beginning, I think it was just the adventure. Like, the idea, I've always loved kind of British culture, and this was an introduction to that and, like, the idea of a boarding school. And 
I was at a private school myself when I was reading them. So I like, you know, wore a uniform every day and they wore their robes. And I think it was just like a way for me to kind of transport myself into this other world. I loved it. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And one of, one of the things I love about the series, and I never find the right way to explain it, but in my head, it feels really clear. And then I try to say it and it doesn't come out that way. But what I love about Harry Potter is, I mean, among many things is it's not like you're take you're taken to this whole other universe that feels like, like sci-fi fantastical, right? Like it feels like if you just made a wrong turn in London, all of a sudden you're in this whole other universe that is very real and very like, you know, modern, modern society. Like it doesn't feel like it, there's not, I don't, I've never seen Lord of the Rings or read Lord of the Rings. So I'm not going to try to, this is about to be like a malaprop or something, but like, there's not like Gollum and all this other, you know, it, it, it's just people, right? It's people wearing slightly different clothes, doing something slightly different, but it, it's very real. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think also, and we'll probably get into this a little bit more, but like the problems that they deal with are inherently human problems. You know, like that's something that could very easily translate into our day-to-day life. It's just a little more fun, spicier. I don't know. They have wands. I'm jealous. Yeah, I mean, look, I have within reaching distance of me right now, two different wands, but neither will actually get me very far in terms of practicality. Um, So no, I get it. and I, I, I really like that, Yoshi, you talked about already what the series kind of meant to you growing up. You know, as, as you have grown up, right, and you've gone through life and the good, the bad, and, and, and the other, right, has your perspective on what the series means, like, changed? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, so, I read all the books as I was growing up and like went to the midnight releases. That was actually a big bonding point for me and my stepdad. He was the one who would always take me. um, And it was just kind of this thing that we shared together. And then I think it got even more exciting when my sisters came of age to like start reading. Um, And they started reading the books and it kind of did the same thing for them and helped them fall in love with reading and generally the story. And then we kind of had this tradition as the movies started coming out where, I mean, the ABC family Harry Potter Saturday marathon was like an institution in my house. So I would say it started as like this, this love of the books. And then I got to share it with my sisters. And then it became not only a love of the the books, but a love of the movies. And then um, like Harry Potter world became a thing. And my family always loved Disneyland. So we were like, wait, we're obsessed with Harry Potter. And we lived in California. So we were like, if we're going to Disneyland, we're going to Harry Potter World or Harry Potter Land. I don't know how they differentiate, but. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal. Just throw it out there. Okay, that's good to know. I will. So I have yet to go to Orlando. That's just kind of tangential. And that is on my list. of. Oh, yeah. Look, we've talked about it before. And. Then quarantine happened and, you know, James never texted me back because he's also a piece of shit. Um, but once this whole pandemic thing is over, I am so excited to get back down to Orlando. And I 1 million percent am going to coordinate this with both of you. Uh, oh, my gosh. No, I cannot happen. wait. I cannot wait. Um, yeah, one, of my, one of my favorite things about the parks, when going with someone who is new 
And this is something I've talked about before with uh, one of my, one of my really good friends in the Potter community, Paula. Uh, what's up, Paula? I know you listen. Hope you're having a good Thursday. Um, is, you know, when people come through Diagon Alley for the first time at the parks, just watching their faces, it is, don't get me wrong, everything about a theme park, obviously, is really cool, and Universal's a great experience, but Diagon Alley is just, you were there, it's real, it's, it is so tangible. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm very excited for whenever we're able to actually see people again and, and, and hang out with people to make that happen. You know, I think it's, I think it's funny that you like bring up kind of the amazement of walking through the park for the first time. So we, I mean, we, at that point in our lives, I would say we're like Disney pros. Like we knew how to do it. We stayed in the park. We got up at seven o'clock, like went in for the extra magical hour or whatever they call it. And, and so the same thing was like how we approached Harry Potter world in the same way. Um, And so we woke up, and we're all super excited. It's just my mom and two of my sisters and myself. And we walk into the park and I'm obviously like crying. I'm amazed. And it's seven in the morning and we're all like, okay, like my mom and I get coffee. And then we're like, the first thing we have to do is go to Ollivander's. And so I'm not kidding you. I'm a 21 year old and I walk into Ollivander's and I'm surrounded by like children and their families and I get chosen for the wand ceremony and I am crying my eyes out. <laughs> um, and my mom, <laughs> my mom turns to me and she's like, can you, can you pull it together? I'm like, nope. So we walk up, go through the whole ceremony and I bought the wand. I mean, I got the wand. I was, I, it was amazing. Um, and I think like that, was actually a big turning point for my love of it as an adult because I realized like how, I mean, I was 21, like just trying to navigate adulthood, but I could still like enjoy this amazingly fun and magical experience. Yeah. So I guess first initial reaction is like, that's a beautiful memory. And I think it works really well for you because you're like an objectively like attractive, like cute human, right? Like, whereas I've always looked a lot older than I really am. And I'm a pretty tall, you know, white male. And like, when I go into Ollivander's, I'm surrounded by children. And I'm like, pick me, pick me. It's like, oh, you probably have some sort of record online that we can find. Oh right? my God. So, so I, I love that memory because I can relate to it, except for the end product being people usually look at me like I have, you know, seven eyes um oh there was there was a few parents in there that were like wow she is committed like this is real (laughs) see you just just wait until you get to come to the parks with like me and all my friends because my friends all cosplay to the nines um i mean oh i love it like people routine like they actually have gotten in trouble before universal because people who go to the parks think they're staff and that's a big no-no for universal because they don't want anyone speaking yeah. a bit which my friends don't they're like no like we're not staff like clearly like you know, go fuck off but um <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a whole nother level when you're walking around with a guy who looks like albus dumbledore a girl wearing a luna lion head like the whole thing oh my gosh i can imagine that's just so amazing i can't wait to do it what? i bought a ravenclaw scarf <laughs> nice i've i don't have it with oh, it's up here um danny co-host of this podcast hi danny 
hope you don't edit out all the good parts. Uh, but yeah, Danny knit me a Hufflepuff scarf that is just primo. It is it is thick. It oh is gorgeous color. Uh, absolutely adore it. So for any of the thousands of listeners out there, if you're looking for your own hand-knit scarf, hit up Mandrakes and Mischief. Danny will hook you up. You know, one of the things I think is really funny, I was as I was prepping for this episode, my mind, you know, I, I and I, I, I like that you already touched on a couple points here is there's a lot of similarities between you and I, right? Like we both are pretty worldly. We both have an appreciation for for different cultures, particularly British culture. Um, there, there, there's a lot of, I mean, we, we both have a good relationship with James. Mine, albeit, is a lot more sexual than yours is, but it's there. But what I think is interesting is, and we both love Harry Potter, and that, that's like one of the first things I knew about you. It's one of the, in my mind, not anymore, but one of the original defining characteristics of, of what I knew you as as a person. But what's funny is I think that has become like my, one of my, if not the only defining characteristic about me for many people out there, right? It's like, I'm the Harry Potter guy now. Whereas I don't think about you as like the Harry Potter person. Like I've, like we both were at the same point and I kind of just crossed the Rubicon. And so I just, I, I don't, that's not necessarily a question. I'm just curious if, if you see that as well, if you get that right. Um, no, I, I would say I'm inspired by it. I mean, I think like your commitment to understanding the universe and like loving it as much as you do is amazing. And I think when I see people like that, and I'm, I would say just now kind of getting more involved in the community, um, you know, it's, it's a celebration, it's really exciting to like be around people that have such a passion for not only like the actual literature, but the story in the universe that it creates. Um, so I love it. Keep doing your thing. I will always be following you and watching. Yeah. It's in talking about the community. I think one of the things that's fascinating for me is you know, so we just compare it, but out of contrast, you know, my family was never in Harry Potter to this day is not. My sister doesn't care for her. My sister doesn't really read that much. She's a brilliant human studies her ass off. Like reads like school stuff, but doesn't like read for fun. Um, and my parents don't do Harry Potter. They think it's weird. Um, so for me growing up, the Harry Potter community was truly a community of one. Like it was me and these stories. And that was great. I never knew any better. Like I didn't have friends growing up that really were into it that much. Um, I, you know, it was me in these books. And it was only a couple of years ago that I discovered this vibrant, diverse, massive community online around the world of people. But, you know, you, as you've said, you had your whole family there who were so engaged and passionate and, you know, that, that, that must make the world of difference. Right. Cause I, hypothetically, I have, I have to assume like you never like, you never thought, hey, like I need I need other people to share this outlet with, right? Like you had your outlet. It was it was your sibling, it was your stepdad, it was your mom. Yeah. I I'm so grateful for it. And I think my mom now realizes that she kind of created a monster because <laughs> because every single time that I'm with my sisters who are now like in college, we're like, okay, first thing we're doing, Harry Potter Marathon Saturday morning. And my mom is like, guys are you really going to watch these movies again? And I'm like, absolutely. How do we not? And then I asked my mom for my 25th birthday present to be a trip to Orlando. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, let's do it. But um, no, I'm extremely lucky. And I think, 
having it come from my family kind of gave me the confidence to be able to share it with other people as well. Like I remember in, I was in a, like on a dance team in high school and we had like a, a show and it was the same night that I think it was the, the first installment of the Deathly Hallows was coming out. Like mid July. Yeah. The movies. Yeah. No. Um, it might've been the last one. Oh no, 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 no. You are. Ooh. Um, I have no idea. I was on part one or part two. Okay, but I, I gotta like look this up. Freaking well, pr- out. Yeah, production note. I'll look this up while you're talking. Okay. Um, yeah, so we had this dance show, and I had already purchased tickets for the midnight showing of, I think it was part one. Yep, so part, yeah, part one was November 19th, 2010. Part two was July 15th, 2011. Yes, so it was in November in California have my dance show already bought tickets. I knew the dance show would end at like 10 30 and I literally showed up to the rehearsal room and like our dressing rooms in full garb. <laughs> I had a scar on my forehead. I had the Harry Potter glasses because granted when I wear circular glasses, I kind of look like Daniel Radcliffe. It's fine. Yeah. You, you have the complexion and the hair color. I, I, I see it. Right. Not the green eyes. Bummer. But that's okay. Not that he even does. I would say that's a note. But oh, we can we can get into that here in a minute. Don't you worry. <laughs> so, so I'm like fully dressed for the show, and um, I obviously had to take the makeup off to like do the performance. Did the performance? Came back, looked at my friends that I had bought the tickets with, and I was like, "Okay, mom and dad, I love you. Like, thanks for getting me flowers. Glad the show went well. I am driving to the movie theater right now." Drove to the movie theater, watched the midnight showing. It was the best experience. I mean, I started crying when the freaking Warner's Brothers thing shows on the screen. I still do to this day. I'm a crier, if that's not clear. <laughs> no, I, and so I've, I've talked a little bit about seeing part one, um, right? Part one, right? I know I just said these and they went right yeah. out of my mind. No, I've talked about seeing part two, right? So I saw part one with my dad. I remember that vividly. Um, we never did. My family just was never, maybe because my mother in particular was definitely more strict. And so like things like being out late at night was never a thing. So like I never went to a midnight book release or a midnight movie premiere or anything like that. But I saw part one with my dad. Um, and then I saw, I talked about this before on the podcast, I snuck out of a summer camp senior going into my senior year of high school and got very drunk on just that basic, like, like absolute vodka, like the it's basically rubbing alcohol. Oh, extremely familiar with that. Yeah, um, yeah, because we snuck we snuck back to my parents' house because the summer camp was in my hometown. My parents were gone. Um, we did that. Saw like a midday showing of that, and went back to camp. Like nothing happened. Um, yeah, I, I distinctly remember sitting there after part two, just like staring at the screen, being like, "It, it's it's done and it's yeah. gone." And it's, so it's actually you know funny talking about kind of the end of the series and, you know, sitting there at the movie theaters being like, it's over and tying it into what you said earlier about going to, to the wizarding world and having that feeling of, okay, this is actually a turning point for how I can engage as an adult. You know, yesterday in terms of when we recorded these episodes, uh, Danny and I recorded an episode with the Greg who lived, who is this wonderful, uh, wonderful Harry Potter Instagrammer and member of the community and um, really, really nice guy. And he was talking about, you know, 
I think we all kind of struggled once the series ended. There was that lag for a couple of years of how do we continue to engage. Um, and so that's something I struggled with too. And, and frankly, I think it took going into college and for me at least, like struggling with just issues of identity and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be known for and all that to really rediscover the community. Um, right. Like I, you know, I, I'm sure James could even probably speak to like, there probably was a decent amount of time when he first knew me where I wasn't known as the Harry Potter person. Like definitely it was probably a trait of mine that we talked about. I distinctly recall bringing my butterbeer mug to, to mixers and to parties at the basement. Uh, I think, yeah, it got conversation starter that had to be perfect. <clears throat> perfect or just a non-starter for most normal women um it didn't really work out for me too well as i recall but that's fine but no i i i you know again like it's a thing that definitely defines my life now but that that's really only been the case for the past couple of years i've always been passionate about the series but it just it, it was never a the thing yeah um, yeah well, I think it's exciting that you have something that brings you so much joy now. Well, I yeah, I mean, so long as I'm not going to have someone who I can love and call my own, I might as well have all these books, these hundreds of books. and Or a million cool. characters. Oh, yeah, millions of characters, too. <laughs> but, you know, they don't really love me back so much. They're, they're kind of just there on a page. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, after I had the, like, wand-choosing experience, being chosen... I was like, you know what? I really love this. And if it's something that makes me happy, I might as well embrace it and enjoy it. Um, so I've, I would say I dove in headfirst. Um, and then, I mean, Turning Point, another one, when Binge Mode came out. <laughs> like, I, I listened to Binge Mode Game of Thrones because I obviously love Game of Thrones too. And I would say not to the same extent, but like, using podcasts as a way to like explore a universe, I think is amazing. So I heard about binge mode randomly from a friend and I listened to it and then they took a bit of a hiatus and then the Harry Potter one came out and I was like, Oh my God, are you kidding? Well, I, I, I distinctly recall binge mode being, I think the first conversation you and I ever had, um, uh, whatever that bar that, uh, Declan worked at, um, Barrel, yeah. Yeah, because we, we had brunch there. Um, and I, I distinctly recall that was like the first conversation we had. Um, you know, Binge Mode's great. Um, we actually shot our shot and sent a DM to Binge Mode about a month ago now trying to get them to come on the podcast. They have yet to respond. I like to think that Jason and Mal are just, you know, letting it marinate more so than they just straight up said no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, tough. Yeah, tough shout out to them. Shout out to them. They 100% are a huge inspiration for why I know Danny and I have a podcast. Um, yeah. And I, I can't say enough good about, about binge mode and, and what it definitely has brought to my life over the past couple of years. Uh, but uh, let's talk, you already mentioned Ratcliffe and his not so green eyes. Let's talk about the series. So let's start with a couple easy questions. Let's talk about, um, because I forgot to do this at the opening, uh, your house. And then let's talk about your favorite book, not so favorite book, favorite movie, not so favorite movie. So all great questions. Um, I identify as a Ravenclaw. I think I have some Gryffindor traits. Like I consider myself a very kind of extroverted 
person, a leader in some capacities. Um, but I think it what always comes what it always comes down to for me is that I am a calculated risk taker. And I think that's a very real Ravenclaw trait. Yeah, you are sitting next to one definitely big risk that you, you took a calculated chance on. And it seems to be going well so far. Uh, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm laughing hysterically. <laughs> for the thousands of listeners, uh, James will uh, occasionally pop his head in or put a thumbs up or uh, send me Snapchats of his face all distorted, looking bizarre. Um, he looks like, uh, what was the fat guy from Austin Powers, the, the guy in the hot tub? Uh, the bastard. fat bastard. Yeah, that felt pretty easy. Um, but that Snapchat, James, with your terrible scraggly scruff looked like that. I'm curious, but I do want to hear all the favorites and least favorites, but I'm curious where you would sort James. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to end up putting a disclaimer at the top that James is your boyfriend, my best friend and all that. But you know, James is your partner. I'm curious where where you would sort him and how you feel you guys, in terms of Harry Potter stuff, this is not meant to be a relationship therapy podcast, but you know, that's one of my other works. Um, how you feel you complement each other and all that. So I actually think James is also a Ravenclaw, but if I have like a rising Gryffindor, I think he has a rising Slytherin. Yes. Yeah, I was going to. Okay. So yes, I will say the evolution of James Manning has definitely been, has been Ravenclaw. 1000%. I mean, it's always been there. He's always been a very intellectual, intellectually driven guy, but the James that I met and the James that I knew for the better part of, you know, four years was definitely Slytherin. Oh yeah. I don't know if this is a hot take, but I would say the James that I fell in love with originally or was attracted to originally was the Slytherin in him. Well, and look, this is definitely <laughs> a good, a good topic for my, for my other, other podcast chamber of secrets at night weekly, which is a great podcast, but I can imagine some of his Slytherin traits being, how how do I say a, a very nice uh, addition to to uh, interactions? Oh yeah, well we can keep it there. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, we can keep it there. Although I will say, yeah. for all of the single witches or witches looking to make a change in their dating life out there, a lot of what I have learned in life in areas of the room of requirement, shall we say. I love it. Oh my stem, God. stem from the, the teachings of James Manning. And I like to think that's a pretty nice endorsement. So again, high praise. It's high praise. Uh, so single witches, which is looking to make a change out there. My DMS are open. Anywho, let's talk about favorite movie. Not so yeah. favorite, movie favorite book, <laughs> not so favorite book and all that. Um, okay. So my favorite book, I would have to say is The Half-Blood Prince. It's such a beautiful culmination of so many points. And I think I always visit, or I always come back to the fact that like, Voldemort isn't in the book. But he's palpable throughout the story. And actually like, the perspective of going through the memories and like understanding where he comes from, I think just adds this level of nuance to the story that didn't exist before. 
And it also like lands perfectly. It lands perfectly. And it's tragic. Obviously the end, spoilers, spoilers, Dumbledore dies. But um, I mean, it, it, I think Jason Concepcion said it on Binge Mode like perfectly. Like you end Half-Blood Prince and you can't not read Deathly Hallows. It's, and it's, it's talking it's about Dumbledore's perfect. talking about Dumbledore's death. So my dad, who saw a handful of the movies, not with any intention, but just with me growing up, right? Uh, he's been watching them during social distancing, like intentionally, like all the way through for like the first time. And I've been home for about a month now. And he, I walked downstairs a couple of weeks ago just to get coffee or something. He goes, "You didn't tell me Dumbledore dies." I'm like, yeah, Dad. I can't tell you the main plot, the main plot point of the damn movie. It's like essential plot. Yeah, like I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. Look, Harry's a wizard. He can only kill Voldemort. Voldemort can only kill him. By the way, Dumbledore dies. Snape's a good guy. At the end. You know, like, what do you want from me? Yeah, I mean, not to get super super deep about it, but I will. Um, I actually talked to my therapist about it <laughs> um, because I think. Reading Half-Blood Prince and then reading, like, specifically the King's Cross chapter, it just gave me such a new perspective of understanding, like, death as a concept. Um, And I think J.K. Rowling does that so delicately and so skillfully that, like, how could it not be my favorite book? It's the best. Um, Favorite movie? Damn. That's hard. I wish they'd remake all the movies and just keep them exactly like the books and I could just sit there and watch them for like 15 hours. Yeah, but this, this is where we need a Game of Thrones style series. Oh, completely agree. Yeah. Um, but I would say the one that I always go back to, it oscillates between The Prisoner of Azkaban, amazing, and Deathly Hallows Part 1. Deathly Hallows Part 1 is a very underrated movie. I know people love to say, and perhaps rightfully so, that it's just a big camp, you know, camping and and traveling movie, right? Like, it's almost like something you'd see on HGTV or, you know, the Travel Channel or something, but it is a very good movie. Like, that's one of those movies where it takes a lot of the subtleties of their acting because there's not, like, like Part 2 is an action movie. It's a... Like it almost looks, it's almost like it belongs in the Fast and the Furious series, right? It's just boom, 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 right? But part one, they're out in the middle of nowhere. They're at Shell Cottage. They're they're not the the magic isn't necessarily what's propelling kind of the plot. It requires these at that point, I guess they were what twenty two or whatever, but still like relatively young, still in terms of the world of their acting, pretty inexperienced actors to to really shine and and drive it, and, and boy, do they do it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's the most kind of compelling for the trio and like how they interact with one another and how their personalities have grown into like adulthood. Um, I think they learn so much about each other. And like you said, the subtleties in the acting like pulls that through very well. And I also, I mean, you're like traveling around England and Scotland. That's amazing to watch. Yeah, so... In addition to going to Universal together, um, because I've been trying, as I distinctly recall, since about spring of 2014 to make this happen with James and Cliff is, you know, a football trip around around England. You know, 
I definitely want to do that. And they're probably going to hate me for wanting to bring, wanting to bring, you know, significant others along, but we 1 million percent should also do an England trip because, well, Oh, I yeah. completely agree. I'm there. Let's do it. Cool. The second and, this quarantine ends. And like James doesn't even have to come like whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Sorry. That's fine. I respect <laughs> it. He, um, he's making a quick, quarantine cameo to say that his favorite movie is Goblet of Fire. Oh. I, I agree with you, Stephen, because this, uh, you know, that's kind of a cheap, it's a cheap choice. So he's sitting next to you. James, slide over. I, I want to ask you about this. Just, and, and look, as I said on a podcast that will be released in a couple weeks, I'm fine with people having different opinions than me, so long as the opinion comes with well-thought-out rationale. So this is your opportunity to provide rationale for why you think Goblet of Fire is the best movie. Um, so first of all, because it's the one that I have the most distinct memories of watching with my family, but from a character perspective, I think it's um, the one where you sort of see a different side of Dumbledore for the first time um, and sort of the him getting caught very off guard by things that are going along. He's seen as sort of like very sage throughout the entire series and this is the sort of the first, you know, the scene that comes to mind is when he, you know, essentially confronts Harry for putting his name in the goblet and he is completely flabbergasted and shell-shocked. And it's the first time that you realize like, oh yeah, you know, maybe he doesn't know everything and, you know, he's just sort of doing his best. And that is sort of drawn out later in the, in the rest of the books when you get into sort of his past and, you know, specifically with his family and how he's mistreated and, you know, essentially made mistakes. But from a character perspective, at least, that's why I always thought it was the most interesting one. Okay, so that's completely fair. So let me ask two follow-ups and I'll let you get back to the Bundesliga or the FIFA or whatever you've got going on, which is, did you read the series? Like, were you a reader? Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I very distinctly remember um, driving down to the Jersey Shore with – with oh god which one was it oh it was the fifth book um like having just gotten it from and writing it in and reading it in the back of the back of the car turning through something like 200 pages in the two-hour truck look i was a borders guy myself but barnes and noble is fine we'll let it slide second follow-up is uh, so i i i think your answer is totally fair like i definitely think and i think you get this in the books too that throughout goblet of fire Dumbledore is caught off guard and is a step behind for a lot of the plot. I think, you know, and I don't want to just use the classic example, but I think what's really troublesome is the choices, like the, the, the emotional choices and portrayals that they chose to go, the direction they chose to go in with Michael Gambon as Dumbledore for that movie. Right. It's not really a question so much as just me just commenting. Uh, um, but no, I, I'm I'm completely fine because I think it's there in the book. I think it's there in the pages that Dumbledore doesn't necessarily know what's going on, but knows something is going on. I just really struggle with the way that they had Gambin portray a lot of those, that thought process and choices. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I also think that's, you know, comes from having to condense, you know, hundreds of pages into like an hour and a half movie. Um, and that it's sort of a cheap way out, but it still gets the point across. Um, and I mean, for me, at least like it's, you know, the entire story more or less is told from Harry's perspective, right? So from Harry's perspective, like Dumbledore is that father figure, the one who can sort of do no wrong that he's always like seeking validation from essentially. And yeah, I mean, it's just sort of that moment when you realize, I guess in life too, that, you know, like your parents are just people doing the best they can. Um, 
And I think that was just a very, you know, sort of very interesting way they chose to do it um, in the movies was sort of just like the hot flash of anger um, instead of the more subtle nuanced ways. Let's just say that. So Dumbledore is a father figure. Would would you call him a daddy? Uh, I would prefer zaddy, but, you know, that works too. Because Dumble Daddy is Jude Law's portrayal of Dumbledore, but we'll get there. That's, that's oh, my. Oh, my God. Jude Law. Look, I am, I am very comfortable with my sexuality, but Jude Law makes me feel things. I mean, whew. What a choice to do that. Like, such a power move from a casting perspective. Yeah. Like, hot Dumbledore, I'm there for it. Yeah, like you have you have like a hot I don't want to say rugged because he's not rugged, but like like it's a very it's like a very manly portrayal of Dumbledore. And then you have contrast that with Eddie Redmayne, who is like the ultimate like all American cute newt. And it's just it's yeah, there's a lot of feelings going on in that in, in that series. I love it. I just have to tack on to James's comments. Um <laughs> Dumbledore asked calmly. Calmly, calmly. All right. So, thank you to the special correspondent James for for chiming in. We appreciate it. Let's talk now about your least favorites. Oof, really tough. Least favorite movie. I have a few. So, I don't like that Deathly Hallows Part Two was such an action movie, and it's going to be hard for me to articulate like exactly which movie I like the least because I will nitpick all of them incessantly. So sorry for that. Love it. Uh, But I mean, least favorite movie from the perspective of how far it deviates from really nailing the story and the core plot is the order of the Phoenix. I think I love that they focus so much on Dumbledore's army. I think it's exciting I love that there's, like, kind of the teen vibe, which is fun. But, like, both in – well, okay. I'm going to go back on what I said. The It's specifically in the Order of the Phoenix, like, the way that they handle the prophecy. Like, they don't handle it. <laughs> it's just this thing, and then Lucius drops it, and then, like, Harry and Dumbledore don't talk about it. And then I think because that set up so poorly, Half-Blood Prince is nowhere near what it has to be as a movie. Okay, and least favorite book. Which is not to say necessarily that you dislike the book, but that, or for that matter, the movies. Um, but of, of the series of seven books, right, which one, is, which one uh, tickles the itch the least, shall we say? Probably Chamber of Secrets. I just, like, I think it's important for pushing the series forward and understanding Harry's connection to Voldemort, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, like, there's no super big wow factor. Granted, I am going through a reread right now, and I'm on, like, I think Chapter 7 of The Sorcerer's Stone. So text me in a few weeks, and that might change. So let's talk then, and you already brought this up a little bit with your least favorite movie answer. Let's talk about some of the plot lines that were left out of the movies and recognizing that between the fact that you have to condense because you have a, a lot of amount of time on screen, but also the fact that, you know, 
in the books, you can get inside of Harry's head a lot, and that's just hard to do in a visual format. I understand. Get that. Um, what were some of the more objectionable choices for you in terms of the movies? I think objectionable choices, again, it comes back to Half-Blood Prince as a movie. I mean, I think I love that book so much because you get a different perspective of Voldemort. And you get his backstory, and it kind of helps set up the importance of choice in the story and the importance of, you know, community and family and whatever that is. Um, And I think in Half-Blood Prince, like, it's a really entertaining movie. Like, I love it. I mean, it's kind of like a teen drama, but you don't get the nuanced exploration of... Voldemort, his memories, and then eventually, like, the Horcruxes, which I think is a huge misstep. Yeah, that's definitely a big one. I think a couple that come to mind for me, and I I think certainly a lot of this would be recency bias in terms of I've talked about these recently. I mean, they are objectively objectionable, but, you know, I've definitely been talking about them more recently. One would be just the erasure of Neville from the movies, really. Um, like it, you lose a lot of his plot, like specifically in Order of the Phoenix, right? Thinking about his family um, at St. Mungo's, like losing that's really tough because I think one of the things as I've read the books as an adult and listening to Binge Mode and just thinking about the series more critically is not just that Neville could have been the chosen one, right? But the ways in which J.K. Rowling both directly and subtly like paints those contrasts and, and really makes it like a very clear link between him and Harry. It's just, it's beautiful and it's finessed and that's a tough loss for me. Also because, you know, of course um, you know, he, he's a great actor and he deserves more screen time and damn that he had a glow up. Um, I think another, for me, it comes down to a lot of the trimming of the minor characters, right? So Dobby gets removed from the series basically from, you know, Azkaban through basically when he dies, right? Like, no Dobby. Okay, that's, you know, a little tough. Um, I think, you know, Dean and Seamus, not that, I mean, I think Dean more so than Seamus in my opinion, but like, they definitely had some more backstory to him. Not a lot, but, you know, enough to where there was somewhat of an arc for them in the books. That's, that's rough. And then the fun one that always irks me is Lee Jordan. Um, because boy is Lee Jordan fun in the books. And I've met uh, Luke Youngblood a couple different times who portrayed him and he jokes about it, but like, he is such a funny, good actor with a great voice, like would have absolutely nailed the scenes that Lee has. So that's a shame, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot, you know, like I, Again, like you, I could nitpick for hours. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up something that bothers me about Goblet of Fire, which is the fact that there are so many plots within plots in that story that make it so compelling that, like, you don't see in the movie. Like, Ludo Bagman, for example. Like, total gambler bag. Ludo, literal bagman, bagman. My favorite thing. That and Megalion from Benjamin, like, I... It kills me, but... Yeah, I mean, you don't understand how Fred and George, like, completely commit to this idea of, like, going out on their own and bet all of their money, and then they just become the gamblers, and then, 
like you lose a lot of the nuance of like the Barty Crouch story and just all of it. Um, Junior. Junior. Look, you've used the phrase twice during this podcast. I feel obligated at this point to start and I'm really sorry for this, but on my own pretending he's beside me. Uh, Ladies, if you date me, you get incessant, never asked for excessive singing. So, uh, whether that's a plus or a minus for you, I can't decide, but there's a little sneak peek. Uh, no, I think, and again, what really bothered me about, about James saying Goblet is his favorite, right? The opening scene of Goblet, the opening scene, you get the reveal that David Tennant, you know, Barty Crouch Jr. has the little tongue thing and like you see him with Voldemort. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's really tough because throughout the end, again, Jason, we should just give Benjamin credit for basically my entire body of work here, but you know, throughout the movie, they so clearly do that tongue thing that David Tennant does to signal that it's Barty Crouch Jr. And you see in the opening scene of the damn movie that Barty is, it, it, it gives away the plot. That bothers me. Yeah, it's just poorly done. Like it's an exciting movie and I think you get some of it. But, you know, having reread the books as an adult and, like, currently doing it again, there's just so much more there that I wish the movie... Like, if this movie was six hours long, I would still watch it. Just do it. (laughs) Yeah. um, I would love nothing more than a TV series. Like Like a... Not like a network TV, but like a, you know, an HBO, like a long form, you know, TV series, streaming series of, of the Harry Potter. That said, I would also love to see the Marauders. I would love to see um, the next second generation. I think it would be fascinating, although I don't necessarily know how much of the world is built out in J.K. Rowling's mind. I would love to see the founders um, and kind of the, that whole thing. But that look, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother barrel of monkeys here. Let's talk. Um, or I can I say something that I think is going to be really funny, but I don't know if I can say it. Story of my life. Um, <laughs> young Sirius Black can fucking get it. I met him a couple weeks ago virtually. Um, yeah, we so uh, okay. We had Magic from HomeCon, so we had at Magic from HomeCon we had an actor panel um, in support of our charity partner, Transfiguring Adoption. And Chris Rankin, who played Percy, is a huge advocate of, of uh, for foster and adoptive children. And so he was kind of the headliner of the panel, if you will. And we also were super fortunate to have James Payton, who played Daddy Longbottom. Um, we had uh, Wally Hammond, who is in the Fantastic Beast series as an Auror. And we had uh, Rohan Gotobed, who is, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but that's literally how it is spelled, is go to bed. But yeah, he played Young Sirius. Uh, great rap name, by the way, too. Um, but yeah, no, I, he, look, I'm not in the, I'm not really in the business of commenting on the sexuality of people who were younger than 18 at the time we saw them on screen. But you know, okay, sure, attractive guy. Yeah, I'm thinking like right when, sadly, Lillian James died. Like uh, right before that happened, like he was the fun uncle. Oh yeah. Definitely some Doomy vibes coming. Although he didn't get the tattoos till he went to As- Azkaban. Those are all a a movie creation, but a very nice movie creation, might I add. Yeah, um, agree. That's that's cemented in my mind now. 
James, for the record, I'm down to get tattoo number six. And so if you're ever looking to get your first, we can, uh, look, I'll come up to DC, me, you, Emily, Abby Dunn. Will be Abby Dunn probably could get us a deal at a tattoo shop because she knows all those people. Um, yeah, let's get some tattoos. You get some Irish clover or something. I don't know. No, I already know what I'm getting. And it's going to get done as soon as quarantine is over. Getting on my, was this like, I don't know. I got five things there. Yeah, yeah. So actually, yeah. So on your form, like where you have yours, I'm getting um, an anchor with my grandfather's destroyer um, designation on it. Oh, I like that. Okay, I can't, I can't make fun of that. Anyway, shape. And then I'm making a little bird like right over here. You can't get a tattoo without me. Come on. I'm of our friend group in a bizarre twist of fate. I'm the tattoo guy. Steven, this is entirely unrelated, but I want to name one of the dogs that we get eventually. Fig. You've been talking about this for a while specifically so I can say, sup, Figgy. (laughs) Oh, sup, Figgy. Another binge world classic. One of the most underrated moments in the books. It's hilarious. Also Uh, an extremely cute name. But that's besides the point. Let's let, let's wrap up here with just a handful of like lightning round style questions. We have now seen three portrayals of Albus Dumbledore in the movies. We've seen Sir Richard Harris, may he rest in peace. We have seen Michael Gambon, and we have seen Yumbledore, Dumble Daddy, Hot Dumble Dam, Jude Law. Please for me, rank them from least favorite portrayal to favorite portrayal. Wow, that is extremely tough. Least favorite, bad Michael Gambon. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, so longtime listeners of this podcast will know I have asked this question probably about 15 times now to various people. And nobody, I mean nobody, has said Michael Gambon is their least favorite. Most people say he's their favorite. So he is canon in my mind. I will say that for the movies. Solely because I think like he was the one who was given the task of having to grapple with the more complex Dumbledore. Granted, there are some seriously bad choices that I think were made for the way that he portrayed it. So that's why I'm putting him last. Second, Young Jude Law, mostly because we only have a few instances of seeing that, so I can't really make that judgment yet. And then first is Sir Richard Harris. I mean, he is what I picture Dumbledore in my mind. So I I agree with Jude Law, and this is something that one of our really good friends on the pod, Carrie, uh, hey Carrie, the Hogwarts professor said on her episode a couple weeks ago is, like you just said, we've only seen a select body of his work. Right, until we've seen the entire portrayal, we don't know where he's taking the character. I'm optimistic about it, and I think he's doing a really nice job of navigating the kind of the devious whimsy with the kind of gravitas of Dumbledore. Um, but yeah, we'll see. And for me, the Michael Gambon, and I don't want to harp on this too much, is a, a ton of really bad choices. And I don't know if they were his. I don't know if they were the directors and the producers. I don't know. I do know that he's admitted multiple times to never reading the books before he took the role. Just never, never read them. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Never, never once. I, if there were a way to show the video of the facial reaction that I just had, 
absolute shock. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, y'all, imagine that you just ingested, like, three warheads, a couple, like, sour lemon candies, and a Sour Patch Kid all at once. That was Emily's face. I think you're right. He had to do a more complex portrayal because starting with the movie he came in on as man, it was no longer necessarily a kid's movie. It was a movie for young adults. It was a movie with complex, more nuanced theme. I get that. I, I will say Richard Harris would have struggled doing a lot just because of his age and his health condition. He would have struggled doing a lot more of the physical kind of more present Dumbledore scenes that we see throughout the rest of the series. The only saving grace, the only thing I can say positive about Gambon that really redeems him for me is the battle with Voldemort in order the Phoenix, the ministry. Now, if you, if you can't nail that, you can't do, you can't do the role. And he nailed it. I wish that we had had an Alan Rickman esque play Dumbledore start to finish. Not actually Alan Rickman, because I could never take him away from Snape, but someone with that level of ability as an actor would just be amazing. But anyway, I don't oh, yeah, know. I know, I know, I agree. And the more I think about it, as I thought about it for this podcast, like, I don't want to necessarily just shit on Gambin saying it's his fault because, you know, looking across the, the series, looking across the series, there were a lot of good actors and actresses who I think just had questionable portrayals. And so that leads me to think it was more of direction from the directors and producers. Like, Bonnie Wright, who I think is a remarkable actress. Side note, Bonnie, I know you listen. I'm into conserving the earth and, and saving the world. And I'm, I'm really big on sustainability and I happen to be single and you happen to, I don't know if you're single, but I'm around. I'm just saying, you know, the, the, the Ginny that we see in the movies is just not the Ginny from the books. But like, I don't necessarily put that at her at her feet because like I don't, I don't know. You know it, it feels like that was more of a, hey Bonnie, like try doing this way, try doing it this way, right? Not like Bonnie was being like, yeah, I'm just gonna be boring. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think maybe we'll see more from her, which would be fun. But yeah, she's gotten into directing a lot, um, which is great. Um, and again, she's a huge activist um, for for a lot of like clean water and conserving the world and, and all of that. And she happens to look beautiful with her bangs and it's fine. It's fine. Shouts to Bonnie. Yeah. Shouts to Bonnie. Please come on the podcast. I promise I won't be as creepy as I just was. Anywho, next question, easy softball question. What is your favorite class? I don't know if that's a softball. Well, it's a softball in the sense that there's a set amount of options. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other on whatever you're going to say. So you're allowed to say whatever you want. I'll be like, yeah, cool. Everything keeps going back to charms for me. I think it's foundational. And and I'm a big foundational learner, I'd say. Like, I think once you have that, you can build. If not charms, history of magic. History of magic, in my opinion, is just... I feel so bad for history of magic as a class because there is so much good content. I would love nothing more than a real history of magic class with like, uh, like, an, like, like a Lupin esque professor. And instead you get bins who just, you know, it's awful. Um, okay, cool. Cool. Good answers. Uh, who, and, and this answer is Danny. This is usually the question Danny asks. I love it, but she always phrases it a certain way and you know, spanning any generation. So it could be the marauders. It could be the founders. It could be professors. It doesn't matter. 
who would your friend group be? Right. So for me, I'm hanging out with Lavender and Pavardi because I'm a huge gossip, love drama, all about it. Uh, who, who would your friend group be? I might need to think about this for a second. All right. Well, we will give you more than one second. So we'll move on to the next question here. No, I think I, I think I can do it. I think all I right. Can. Well, all right. Fair. Professor McGonagall, icon. Ron Weasley, because I'm obsessed with him and he's hilarious. Um, kind of needy, but that tracks, so it's fine. Um, so Professor McGonagall, Ron Weasley, fucking Hermione Granger, because one, I want to see the banter between the two of them. Two, I love strong women supporting strong women, and I think she and I would get along really well. And then last but not least, I don't know if I could deal with Harry because I think I'm Harry in that situation. So Professor McGonagall, Ron, Hermione, probably young Sirius Black and or, no, because I'd want to I'd sleep with him and that's a bad idea. You would hit on Cedric. Oh man. Professor McGonagall, Ron, Hermione. The twins could be like fringe. Because they're hilarious and I need them around. So, so uh, uh, anyway, look, I I, I want to have one quibble about Hermione, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with what I'm about to say, but I think it's a fascinating question. Is Hermione absolutely is the activist of the school, and she's she is takes no bullshit. She doesn't care about patriarchal heteronormativity and all that. That said, during what is it, Prisoner of Azkaban, right? Yeah, during Prisoner of Azkaban, she's pretty dismissive of, like, Pravardi and Lavender during Divination, and she's very quick to like, shut it down on them, which feels slightly antithetical to the, in my opinion, accurate portrayal of Hermione as an empowering feminist icon. Just curious. No, I agree with that. I think that Hermione thinks she knows best but she becomes a, an extremely compelling character when she realizes that she has flaws. And I don't think that happens until like basically Deathly Hallows. Okay. Last question I want to ask you and we can wrap because I've, you guys have been more than generous with your lazy Sunday. This is a question. I'm sorry, Danny. I've never asked this before on the podcast. And next time you're on, I probably never ask it again. If you could write any fanfic, what fanfic would you write? Me and Ron Weasley. Not you and Young Serious. <laughs> Sorry, James just freaked out. Um, let me let me think about it. Hold on. Because right, I 100 I mean, look, there's a lot that I would write. and Boy, oh boy, it would really hurt my chances to be a corporate executive one day. But I would love nothing more than a fanfic about, um, about Filch, Mrs. Norris, and... Uh, Eileen Pin or what? what that, what's Madame Pince's first name? Whatever her first name is, the librarian. I would love because because you, you know that Filch is into some kinky shit with those manacles in his it, office. Get weird. And he's got this weird thing for Mrs. Norris. I'm not. I'm not not convinced that they fuck. But I will say, oh, they- oh yeah, and that's like a pretty decent theory. Not really theory. There's a lot of conversation about that going around the Potter community. It's like Phyllis's relationship with Mrs. Norris is a little too bizarre. Yeah, that's an awkward vibe. Yeah. Um, so besides the joke of me and Ron Weasley, which I don't know if that was a joke. It wasn't. I think about it actually okay. often. But um 
So this is going to come out of left field, but it just came into my mind. Ginny has her shit on lock at Hogwarts. And I love that about her. What if we had a super secretive Ginny Draco Malfoy? Ooh. Oh, boy. I'm uncomfortable. But you could see it. Oh, God. Yeah. I Well, because... I... <laughs> And I, again, I want to wrap here because you all have been really good at your time. And Draco's redemption narrative that the movies keep trying to push towards the back half of the series is really troubling for me. In the books, it's portrayed pretty well. Again, because you can get into Harry's mind. Because, you know, Harry comes back to he was lowering his wand and the tower, the whole thing. But for me, I've really gotten to know Draco Malfoy a lot more through reading fanfic. Well, because there's a lot out there. There's a ton out there. Because the books do kind of give that nod towards the redemption arc for Draco. So people have taken that and in ways both non-sexual and sexual, just kind of really written a pretty in-depth portrayal of Draco Malfoy. And Hermione's typically the character, I mean, either Hermione or Harry, the Drary, the Drary ship is real. Um, But uh, Hermione and, and Draco tends to be the most popular uh, heterosexual pairing for, for that ship. Jenny would be fascinating because Jenny would, would not put up with his shit. Hermione. Like Hermione is too, um, I would say like morally guided. Thank you, Emily. And to some extent, James for joining me today. This was a ton of fun. I miss both of y'all's faces. Never mind the podcast. I just, it's, it's so great to see you guys again. Thank you to the thousands of listeners for putting up with a Danny-less episode. But yeah, thanks to thanks to y'all both. Uh, thanks to all the listeners for putting up with us. Don't, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review where applicable. You could follow me on the grams at Muggle and Khakis, as always. Considering a name change to Hufflepuff and Khakis, we'll see. Don't really know. Yeah, see, I look, I agree. I So Emily and James are both shaking their head. I agree. Some other people in the Instagram community seem to believe it'd be a positive change for me. I don't know how I feel. We're on the same page. All right. Well, with that, that's a wrap. Danny, cut. Okay. So my creator shout out for this episode is basic.beckaboo. Danny will figure out the exact handle and, and throw it in the in the episode notes. but. Uh, Becky Boo, I, I, can, I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm so sorry I'm butcher, if I'm butchering your name. Uh, a UK-based tattoo artist, illustrator, watercolor artist. Really, really gorgeous work here so far. Um, pretty new on the gram. I only, only, get, only got started on Instagram at the end of April, but uh, a handful of Harry Potter things here so far. Um, a beautiful, beautiful Hagrid's hut with some really nice detail and color. Um, the castle at night with the first year boats coming up across the lake, really gorgeous. Um, and then most recently kind of Hogwarts express with the flying car. Um, this is absolutely incredible. As I'm looking at, it, I'm kind of thinking I need to head over back to the UK and get another tattoo because this work is outstanding. I'm really a fan. So y'all be sure to go get some love to, Basic dot Becky Boo, and again, I am so sorry if I'm butchering your name, um, but I really love your artwork, and, and it's definitely uh, deserving of, of a shout out here. So, 
Shouts to you. Hope uh, you are staying well and continuing to create some beautiful art here during this pandemic.